Praise be to God. You know, sometimes you go out and you go out to eat and you um, sit down and you might have like a starter and then even before your starter comes you're feeling quite hungry and so maybe you eat the free bread that they give you and um, you know you kind of have a couple rolls and it's free anyway and so you maybe have a, another slice and you know it's, it's warm and it's fresh and it's tasty and then your starter comes and then you eat your starter and by the time your main course comes you feel like alright I'm going to have to roll up my sleeves to really finish this one because you've had so much already and you just feel so satisfied but you're not going to leave your main course right I mean not only have you paid for it but it's so tasty and it's supposed to be the main meal and um, what a joy it is in the Lord for us to be able to come and sing praise to God and just feel like wow this is tremendous and have a real sense of the Lord being with us present to bless and then we have that dance ministry as we saw from our sister Karen and just feeling like yes our Lord you're good praise be to God and you get you feel a little free in your soul and you just feel like I could go and take the world right now Jesus is here by God's grace as we get into the main course we'll be even more greatly encouraged as we are strengthened through the ministry of his word amen for those who don't know my name's Ephraim I'm one of the pastors and I'm gonna be rounding up this um, mini-series, if you like, on vision. Um, we're at the top end of the year, and we always like, in some way or another, to try and, if you like, set the stall out and refocus and um, really just allow the Lord to help us have a sense of evaluation as to where we're at and have a renewed sense of his purpose as he leads us to where he's going. Um, we recognize that Jesus is Lord. Amen. Amen? Jesus is Lord over all. He is Lord over all. The issue is that not all recognize and acknowledge him as Lord. And so, by God's grace today, um, we'll be encouraged as we think practically, rounding up the, the... the different aspects of our vision from a practical point of view, how we can declare and disseminate the Lordship of Christ through our lives from this place right here in South London. Amen? Amen. I almost said broccoli, but the days could be numbered, so... (laughs) Yeah, anyway, that's another discussion. (laughs) Praise be to God. Amen. So, um, we see that fundamentally the church has been given a mandate. Go therefore and make disciples. That's the imperative. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And um, that is a fundamental text that informs our vision and um, as we move forward 
we consider how we outwork that. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for your presence among us. Thank you so much, Lord, for the fact that Jesus is Lord and he is risen from the dead. And we know it, Lord. And we bless you and give you all the honor and all the praise. We give you all the honor and all the praise. All glory belongs to you in heaven and earth and under the earth because there is none like you, Lord God. For it is you who have made us and not we ourselves. Lord, we are the sheep of your pasture. Have your way among us, Lord. You've said that your sheep hear your voice. Speak today, Lord, by your spirit that we might hear what you would say to our hearts as you lead us in the way of righteousness. For your name's sake we pray. Amen. So our vision is to be a healthy church. Help me out. Equip to disciple, faithful on mission. Amen. So James 1.22 says that we ought to be evaluators of the word. We ought to be critics of the word. It, it says that we ought to be um, examiners of the word. You don't must get tired of us doing that, it? <laughs> Especially when it's on the screen there, right? <laughs> but it's important that we give you a little contrast in relation to what it actually says rather than what people can often take it to say in our own hearts. We're to be doers of the word. And not hearers only. Doers of the word and not hearers only. So, the gospel is truth. The gospel is words. But it is more than words. We are to be doers. When you think about uh, an actor, actress... And they read their script, they go for the audition. When they stand there in that audition, they're not so expected to just be somebody who is going to convey words verbally. But these actors and actresses are expected to bring those words to life in a way that is convincing. Now, we don't merely act in a pretentious way, but we are to call to act like Christ. Amen? And if we don't, if we don't do the things we say we believe, if we don't do the things that Scripture says, we are deceiving ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. And so let's be doers of the word and not hearers only. So as we consider that, look at this. For those of you who've been in community group over the last few weeks, this verse has been um, top of the charts as far as the, the handout's concerned. And it's from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. And it says, And the Lord answer me, answered me, sorry, write the vision and make it plain on tablets. So he may run... Who reads it? 
So there's a writing, there is a communicating, but there's also a running. The Lord has called us to run with the gospel. The Lord has called us to run with the good news of Jesus Christ. Some of us may find that somewhat of a challenge, whether it's in our personal life, in terms of running the race, fighting the good fight, being faithful to Jesus as his followers, and even in our corporate experience, our collective experience of what it means to be church. There are challenges that we face personally and collectively. But consider this. As Jeremiah, who was a prophet of God, and he was used by God to speak to the southern kingdom of Judah, who had more than the northern kingdom, had great appearance of faithfulness to God, It was the place where God's commitment was with regards to continuing the fulfillment of his promise in order that the Messiah might come. Jeremiah was a prophet raised to speak to the southern kingdom. And he was raised up at a time just before the southern kingdom of Judah was going to be taken into captivity in Babylon. The people had been in a period of unfaithfulness. And Jeremiah was complaining, Lord, how is it that the wicked prosper and, you know, your name is just being defamed and yet people are prospering. And your people don't seem to be benefiting. Ever felt like that? One of them Psalm 73 moments. Lord, why did the wicked prosper? They're no good, yet they're getting away with it. Times are hard. It's hard out here to to, to, to represent you, to stand for you. And the Lord said this to Jeremiah. If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? Like, you think things are bad now, and you're finding it hard, and you're finding it tough. And you're just racing against your peers. What happens when you go into Babylon, and they have absolutely no regard? Their whole mentality, their whole worldview, their whole culture is completely opposed to me. How are you going to manage them? See, we're having hard times now, right? But there is more that God expects of us as a church. There is more that God expects of you. Are you ready for that? Are you prepared for that? From the days of John the Baptist until now, The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. Ever been persecuted for your faith? Ever been mocked, marginalized, scorned, looked down on, disregarded, looked over? 
Because you're a Christian? Yeah, well. Persecution is par for the course, as they say. It's to be expected. The kingdom has suffered violence. But it doesn't stop there. It says the violent take it by force. Now I know for some of us we've heard this scripture in a different context. And we've heard it in the sense of your blessing is out there. And you need to take it by force. Grab that Mercedes because it's yours. It's got your name on it. You need to stand in prayer and push. Pray until something happens because the keys shall be yours. Maybe we've heard it in that context, misused, but it's still Bible. And it still has application to us as God's people. God has more for us. God has more for you. Are you ready to roll up your sleeves and take it by force? Some of you may reflect back on that period of your life when you weren't a Christian. Maybe there's a few of you here today who are not Christians. And you appreciate the struggle of coming to terms with Jesus, literally. You, you appreciate the struggle of what it means to actually come to a place where you've made peace with God. And there are all of these things that bombard you and they challenge you in regards to trying to prevent you from surrendering. Trying to prevent you from doing what God wants. And that's repenting and, and accepting Jesus. And some of us were in that place and it was hard to break away from our friends. Because we had such great loyalty and we had such good times and our relationships went deep. But we knew that they couldn't go any further if we was really going to walk with Jesus. Because he's called us to be different. And it was a struggle. And there was a point at which, whether it was clenched teeth or squinting eyes, tears coming out, you said, Lord, I surrender. I, I give you my all. And you had to clench your fists. And you had to grab hold of Jesus. This is what we're called to. The kingdom suffers violence. But we need to get, we need to get violent. We need to get militant. We need to get aggressive in a righteous sense. Some of us have forgotten that we have an adversary who is Satan, the devil who goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And you know, for us, especially in the West, one of the most subtle and dangerous traps that Satan puts before us is comfort. Comfort. It's not even like he will bring storms and rain and drama to your life. You see how we've had storms and we've had rain? I read, I read a, a quote on, on a headline of a newspaper about a week ago. And it was quoting a vicar. 
headlines quoting the vicar, you know, a vicar in prayer. God, we've had enough. <laughs> Storms and rain come and people are looking for solutions. People are looking for answers because people are getting flooded out. Hardship. And at that point, people begin to get spiritually open. And people are looking to the heavens, literally. <laughs> but in a time of comfort and prosperity, how much column inches are given over to reporting the prayers of vicars around this country? So, if you're experiencing hardship you can anticipate that things are likely to get tougher. And you know what they say? When the going gets tough, come on, you lot are not ready. You're not, you're not serious. When the going gets tough, all right, so let's get going, amen? Healthy church. Practically, we have to have the attitude of one who is a transformer. Apparently, the next installment of the Transformer um, series of films is getting ready to come out. How much millions of pounds worth of budget's been put into that, invested in it? Um, people, some people are very much looking forward to it. How about us? God has invested in you and in your transformation. Consider this. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. What an investment he gave to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until there is a goal. We all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Unity, relational. Knowledge of the Son of God, informational. Mature manhood, measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. Personal character. There's a goal that we would be transformed collectively. You can't talk about unity and just think of, speak of one person. This isn't an individualistic Statement here. A collective unity. A unity where we are loving one another and serving one another from the place of a common faith. Until we are transformed to be like Jesus. Are you a transformer today? Are you a transformer? Hmm. It's not a trick question. We are called to be transformed into the image of Christ. Amen? Are you a transformer? Amen. Thank you, Sister Linda. Praise God. Now, it comes at a cost. There is a price to be paid. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. If we as individuals are going to contribute to this being a healthy expression of the church, that must be our life's mandate. That we're going to love God with everything. No half measures. 
No half-stepping. All out, all in for Jesus. Because we love God with everything that is in us. And so take a moment to just consider where you're at and to consider, are you loving the Lord with everything that is in you? With everything that you have? What areas of your life are you holding on to? What aspects are you reserving as marked private, password protected? May we repent of those things. May we recognize that Christ gave his all for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is the glorious good news. (coughs) Now, the goal of a healthy church is reproduction. And fundamentally, that means church planting. Fundamentally, healthy sheep reproduce. Practically, where are we at? You see, we have to be healthy in order to plant a healthy plant that will go on to be healthy. Many of you will um, be familiar with the initiative to Jamaica. A few years back, I think it was 2009, was it? 2009, 10? Like, almost 50 of us went out to Jamaica as as an advanced trip to go and do preparatory work in order for a, a, a church to be planted in Jamaica. In the process, we understood that actually, you know what? One, there's a lot more preparation that's going to be needed in order for a healthy plant to, be, to take place in Jamaica. And two, actually, there's a lot of work that needs to happen in order for us to be in a healthy place, in order to plant a healthy plant. Amen? So that vision hasn't died. It's in the process of refinement. And it's not the only vision that we have for church planting. I was really praying about this and I was like, you know what, Lord? London. Let's, let's just focus on, let's think about London for a minute. How many boroughs are there in London? 32 boroughs. 32 boroughs in the city of London. So we're right now in the borough of Lewisham. The borough of Lewisham goes from Deptford right by the riverside, all the way back down to Bromley. It's a big borough. That's just one of 32 boroughs. Now, would you suggest that it's unreasonable that we could say, you know what, Lord, why, why couldn't there be a Calvary Chapel South London or a, a Calvary Chapel South London plant in at least 15 of those boroughs? Would that be too much? Would that be too many? One in Southwark, 
and, and one in Lambeth, and one in Greenwich, and one in Bexley, and one in Wandsworth, and would that be too much? Would they be too close? Of course not. Does London need that? Thank you, my brother. Of course. This has to be the kind of outward-looking view that we are nurturing. And what it's going to require in order for us to do that is a strengthened unity of heart, unity of purpose, and a unity of commitment. It still feels like for us as a local church, we're kind of in the foundational stage. And by God's grace, he's he's helping us to grow. And he's helping us to develop. So that through the ministry of the word, there is a much clearer sense of unity of heart. Of a love for one another and a love for the Lord. Amen? Amen? A much stronger unity of purpose. That we know who we are and we, and we know what we're about. But those things are nothing without a unity of commitment. That we're committed. That we understand, look, you know what? We're called together as a local church on mission. This is the, the family that God has placed me into. And so we stand together as family and we war together as soldiers and we celebrate together as a bride and we we, we receive and we welcome as a temple and we are all of these things as we see in Ephesians. But we're together on the same page. I'm trusting that by reason of the fact that you're here, that's a suggestion that there is a desire on your part to be on the same page. Suggestion. For those who are members, there's an express commitment to be on the same page. I've, you know what? In for a penny, in for a pound. I'm down for this. Together. Together we stand, divided we fall. Is that how it goes? Yeah? Amen. And in a, in a society where people are looking for belonging, where people are looking for purpose, where people are looking to see people who mean what they say and say what they mean, where actions speak louder than words, this is what we're called to as a healthy church. And so as we walk with that strengthened sense of unity of heart, unity of purpose, and unity of commitment, we then are much more pliable, much more usable in the hands of God as he begins to develop a structure here. Develop a structure that is going to be strong. That's going to be strong and it's going to enable and facilitate church planting in due season. And we're not going to wait for everything to be perfect. Because Jesus will come first. 
But we are going to put our hand to the plow and look to the Lord from whence cometh our help. Amen? And so when you see us rallying the call to membership, it's not just for the sake of it. It's because we're on mission. And when you see us encouraging serving in teams, and when you see us encouraging community group connections and so on and so forth, it's because we have a purpose. We have a goal. Amen? As a people who will be equipped to disciple, we must have the attitude of a pursuer. A pursuer. And so Jesus said this in Mark 8. Calling to the crowd, and calling the crowd to him, sorry, with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If anyone would come after me, if anyone would pursue me, if anyone would want to be my disciple, one of the most common misconceptions about discipleship in an era where it's kind of become the church has become awakened to the need for discipleship again. One of the most common dis- misconceptions about discipleship is that Christian discipleship involves a mature or elder person pursuing the less mature. That is such a backward, unbiblical view of discipleship. Jesus didn't pursue no one. Jesus said, follow me. The Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Be imitators of me. When, you've heard this before, the, sheep would lead the, the, the shepherd would lead the sheep in Israel. When the, the, the shepherd would, would corral the sheep and move them to their next feeding location and so on and so forth. In Israel, the shepherds didn't stand behind the sheep and drive them. The shepherds walked in front of the sheep and the sheep followed. This is the picture of discipleship that the hearers of Jesus would understand. It therefore suggests that when we find ourselves in a place where we're having a pity party, oh, woe is me. No one cares about me. No one speaks to me. No one loves me. Lord, not even you love me, Lord. We need to appreciate that we're very vulnerable to the whispering lies of the enemy. We're called to pursue. We're called to follow. In John 6, Jesus didn't chase those people who were walking away. And he even challenged the disciples. Are you going to go too? We're called to follow. And so when it comes to discipleship, discipleship at South London happens in in formal and formal ways. There are informal relationships where people spy out someone that they're like, you know what? I see a faithfulness of God in their life. 
And I desire to learn of them and develop a relationship with them where in view of their maturity, they can help me grow. That might be an informal capacity. There may be that one-on-one dynamic in that regard. Whilst at the same time, there are formal and necessary and biblically mandated structures of discipleship. So the preached word is one of the fundamental and primary means of discipleship that is expressed in the, the pastoral epistles. Don't think that because you don't necessarily have a one-on-one relationship with someone that you're not being discipled. Every Sunday as you follow after Jesus and you make your way into the, the, the fellowship of the saints and you receive the preached word of God, you're being discipled. And often what can happen is we find ourselves in a place where we don't value what we're receiving because it doesn't fit our profile of what discipleship is. And so we don't ingest it, we don't apply it, we don't, you, we don't engage with it in the way that we ought to because we're expecting something else, which in, in our mind is, oh, that's real discipleship. I'm going to have a guru that I can phone at any time of the day or night. So, discipleship happens in formal corporate settings, community group, discipleship going on right there. I can tell you people who I have seen transformed, literally transformed before my eyes as I've led community group over the years. And yet still, we need both working together, the formal and the informal, the intentional and the accidental, if you want to call it that. We need these things working together. And so we have a commitment to see more one-to-one relationships. Some of you have heard us talk about um, the discipleship ministry training and that is basically one day a week that over the past half a year I think we're about halfway through now we've been piloting this new experience of discipleship and it works in in conjunction with some local ministry training based in Roehampton called the urban ministry program And there's about 10 of us going through that experience. Wednesday in Roehampton, Thursday in the office here. And the the growth has been just phenomenal. The pouring in has been phenomenal. And it's just been another level of discipleship that we look forward to expanding. And you know what? There are going to be Challenges in terms of how that experience is expanded because you're thinking to yourself, well, I work five days a week, so that's not really an option to me. Well, there are other ways that that will filter out into the life of the church. 
One of the ways is the discipleship program, the urban catechism, which is designed for personal, intimate discipleship. It's got three parts to it, and each one is about 13 weeks, and the primary focus at this stage is the first part, and it can be done in 13 weeks, it can be done in a shorter time, but it is a discipleship program. You might think to yourself, you know what, I'd really love to help someone in the faith. I'd really love to, but I don't really know what to do. And obviously you can pray with them and you can meet to read the Bible together. That's legitimate discipleship. But this is going to be something else added as a resource to be utilized in that fashion. Amen? Now, we would love to see everyone at least go through part one of the Urban Catechism Discipleship Program. You might think to yourself, well, you know what, I've been a Christian for like 10 years. Are you serious? Is that something that I really need? My answer would be quite simple. Yes. Because it would then enable you to take someone else through it. When we think about discipleship, let's not think first of ourselves. Let's think of others. Now, there is a cost associated when it comes to discipleship. And the reality is that Having given our all to the Lord, it will cost us time. It will cost us time. And, you know, we live in London, one of the biggest, fastest cities in the world. If they say that New York is the city that never sleeps, then London is definitely his cousin. Time is something that we all feel the pressure of in regards to the constraints and how little time we often find ourselves having to ourselves because the demands of life are such that it just requires us to be doing, 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 doing X, Y, and Z. But in Jesus' mandate to discipleship, in his call to discipleship, he makes it clear that There is a letting go of your life. You are no longer your first priority. God is. And so in that, there's a surrendering of our time. And that doesn't mean that we just, you know, quit our job and abandon everything unwisely. But what we do is we give all of ourselves, we give all of our time to the Lord. And we say, Lord, how would you have me use my time? There's a proverb here I want to share, which might seem a little random. Discipleship will cost us time. Why? Because we are told to buy the truth. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Well, If we're buying truth and it's not being sold, 
What do we use to buy truth? Time. So time is money, right? <laughs> Just as valuable as money. And so there's a, there's a sense in which we have to be prepared to spend time, to invest time in order to grow as a disciple and be able to disciple others. And for some of us, that will mean reevaluating our job choices or reevaluating where we live because we appreciate that we're pursuers of Jesus and we're pursuers of His will. Amen? So, the different dynamics of discipleship, it will cost us time. And yet still, God is faithful because truly he will use us to disciple others if we're willing, if we're submitted, if we're surrendered. Faithful on mission. Requires the attitude of a martyr. We all know that feeling. We have an opportunity to share the gospel. And our pulse starts racing. Our head gets a bit light. And all of these considerations and challenges run through our minds in terms of what are they going to think of me? Are they going to think I'm such a fool? Oh, it's not really going to come out right. One of the, the girls was sharing the other day. I can't remember how the conversation came about, but she was in her office, and all of a sudden the, the issue of Christianity came up, and they were talking about God. Oh, they, they were asking, um, oh, where was Jesus born? And they were speculating amongst themselves. And one of them just rounded on her. Hold on. You're meant to know. Because you're a Christian. Some of us have been in those situations. And our tongue swells up in our mouth. And we're thinking where Jesus was born. And we feel like it's the most basic question in the world. And I'm about to get it wrong. (laughs) That's the life of the martyr. Mark 8, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. We're called to lose. And that word in the Greek is literally to destroy. To to destroy our own lives. I mean, this could cost me my job. This could cost me my house. You know what? My life is the Lord's. He's almighty. He's all powerful. He's got me. Sleeping off the top board, thinking, if I belly flop, I'm going to be split in half. But God's got me. And so, mission. We're called on mission with the heart of a martyr. And that will be personal again, and it will be corporate. One of the things we talked about in, in, in community group 
was the, the blessing that us engaging with corporate mission has to our lives. So we are very reluctant to go out on a Friday or to go out when evangelism is announced. And yet we're being robbed of a blessing. Because as we go, even if we're just passing out tracks, we are strengthened and empowered in our ability to represent on our own. And so how do you engage with corporate evangelism when it's organized? We have opportunity to go into the local college. We have one university and about six colleges at least around us in this borough. One of the biggest of the colleges is the newly amalgamated Lewisham and Southwark College known as Lisoko. And they are crying out for chaplaincy in the college. People who would come in and represent Christ to both the staff and the students. The ability to hold events in there that are gospel-centered. The ability to have ongoing mission in there. Maybe a Christianity explored or a truthology type situation. This is just one example. With a potential move, there's going to be even more opportunity for us to engage with the community having a premises available 24-7. How does that sound to you? Inviting? Encouraging? Or daunting? Does it feel like a headache because it's more responsibility, more demands upon your life. You see, this is where the rubber hits the road when it comes to our lives, when it comes to us being people who are genuinely seeking to fulfill God's vision for this church. We've already established that contrary to popular opinion, ministry isn't something that's just done by the professionals. Ministry isn't something that's just done by the pastors and the elders and we just kind of come along and soak up the benefits. But as saints, we're all equipped. We're all equipped to do the work of the ministry. Now, that might be a very um, unnerving, that might be a very unsettling view of church life for you. That's good. I'm glad. It should be challenging for all of us. For us as leaders in terms of raising people up. For all of us in terms of our contribution to the fulfillment of God's vision for South London. It's supposed to be challenging. We recognize that we're a work in progress as leaders, just as much as everyone else is. 
We're learning to develop structure. We have teams and ministries developing, ministries that have been going on since, since the beginning. We were talking about women in the word the other day. And it's probably the most consistent and most enduring aspect of church life. Ten years that we've been going, it's, it's been going. Consistently, faithfully attended. It's been a real encouragement. But we're wanting to see health right across the life of the body. And so... Does the Lord have your heart? Does the Lord have your time? Does the Lord have your identity? Because these are the things that will ultimately result in us being a healthy church, equipped to disciple, faithful on mission. I'm going to ask the band to come back and join me. And I want us to just take a moment to reflect. We're called to be doers of the word. And you may be here today and you appreciate that you actually haven't even put your foot on the first rung of the ladder. You haven't taken the first step past square one. One of the things I would hope that you would appreciate is that in Christ, you are able to have a life of purpose and a life of meaning in a way that is not offered anywhere else in life. To know the one who made us is to know what we are made for. We've been made for more than money. We've actually even been made for more than happiness, which is so fleeting and so inconsistent. We have been made for God and for his glory. And as we consider all that I've shared as a response to what Jesus has done, you see, Jesus was completely surrendered to the will of the Father. He said, my meat, my substance, my satisfaction comes from doing the will of the Father. There was no point at which Jesus had that me time at the expense of those to whom he was called. And you might say, but weren't there times when Jesus kind of just left the crowds and he went off into the mountain? He went off onto the hill. Of course there were. And we all need those times, but (laughs) who was he with and what was he doing? He was praying to the Father. He was communing with the Father. He didn't go surfing on the Sea of Galilee. Not that there's anything wrong with surfing. 
He wasn't um, holed up in the, in the inn playing the Xbox. Because his life had greater meaning and purpose than that. And I'm sure there were moments of recreation. The funny thing is we don't really read much about that. Because we live in a culture where people have become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And yet, Jesus says, all who are weary and weighed down, come to me and I'll give you rest for your soul. And so, appreciate that coming to the Lord is the greatest thing that you could do and it's the most necessary thing for you to do because Jesus said if you're not for me you're against me and there's only those two options there's no gray area there's no middle ground it's either we're for Christ or we're against him and if we're against Christ then you are in a highly hazardous place Because the Bible says that judgment will come upon such people who resist God's only means of saving. His only means of saving us. And so I appeal to you, surrender your heart, surrender your life and follow Jesus and be saved. Put your trust in him who is trustworthy. He died for you in your place so that you could be forgiven and he was raised from the dead on the third day that our justification be affirmed that all who believe on him will not perish but have eternal life (coughs) blessed be the name of the Lord let's pray can I ask you to stand with me Lord God and Heavenly Father we thank you for what you have done we thank you for the richness of your love toward us in Christ Jesus that you have called us out of darkness that you have delivered us from the pit from the furnace of fire Lord You've delivered us from alienation, separation from you, and you've brought us in. And you've done so at the expense, at the cost of the life of your only begotten son. Thank you, Lord. We were never good enough. We could never be good enough to come to you on our own terms. And yet, Lord, you reached out to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Lord God. And so our prayer today is that, Lord, you would help us to be a healthy church, equipped to disciple, effective, faithful even, on mission, Lord. 
help us to be that people. Recognizing that it starts with us. Personally. At the center of our being. And that translates in what we do. And what we say. So help us Lord. Help us as Calvary Chapel South London. To be unified in heart. To be unified in purpose Lord. To be unified in our commitment. That you would be greatly glorified. That the lost would be one to you. And raised up in your family. For the glory of Christ we pray. Amen.